Drew did an incredible job last week of walking through Romans 9 through 11. Now, we spent four weeks. It, t- it seemed like six years because it was two weeks in this, the fall and two weeks this spring. Uh, and then we had this long break. But uh, we spent four weeks, four sessions in, in Romans 8. And, and we're spending two weeks in 9 through 11. And he, he explained why last week. But if you, if you weren't here and you would like a summary of what he talked about, they're, they're right here. It's really, really good. If you have spent any time in Romans 9 through 11, you know how much time it took to explain what he did and to kind of summarize um, what, what, the, what those chapters are describing. It is an incredible summary. Uh, but normally, when we get together, we spend half of our time kind of just walking through a text, explaining what it says and what it means, and giving some background to it. And we take a break, and then we come back and we talk through kind of some bigger, maybe um, theological ideas from that text or some applicational points. Um, but, but last week, he spent the whole time, first half and second half, spent the whole time um, just walking through those, two, those three chapters. And then tonight... Our goal is to spend both time, both halves reflecting on a couple points from those from those chapters. And so I want to be clear about what I want to say tonight and what I want you to walk out of here embracing as a follower of Jesus is that we are God's children by grace and his ambassador his ambassadors on mission. So it's it's two things that we are His children, we are God's children by grace, and that we are His ambassadors on mission. So, last week he was, he was teaching through, in fact, I'm going to grab this, um, in this little summary on nine, chapter 9, 6 through 13, in which Paul is explaining that God didn't, God's plan didn't fail. It... Um, He's helping them see, because you know, they're having this big question. So did did God mess up? Like did, did, is he not faithful to his to his plan? Did he not keep his word? Is he not righteous? You know, did did his plan fail? And Paul's overwhelming answer is no, God's plan did not fail. Yes, he is righteous. Yes, he is just. Yes, he kept his word. And so he explains in this little section that. That inclusion into this true Israel that he describes has never been strictly a matter of physical descent. It's not just those who were born of the nation of Israel, Jewish people. That's not, that's not who the true Israel is that, that Paul is describing. He said it was never based on physical descent. It was based on a promise. And then he says that it was, it's not also not, not a matter of good works. It's not those that, that follow the law perfectly or those that are really, really good. Therein, no, it's always been by grace. And so those two words, promise and grace, those are really helpful words for me to latch on to, to think about God as a God of promise, a God who makes promises, and a God who gives grace. And so it led me to kind of walk back through the Old Testament and, and look at examples and look at times in which God was gracious, God was faithful to His promises, and, and He was gracious to His people. Um, and so, the, the question I want to ask is, have you ever, um, have you ever wanted, wanted, wondered why 
there is an Old Testament. Like, why doesn't it go from Genesis 1 and then 2 and then 3, the fall, okay, to Matthew 1? Because Jesus, right? He's the solution. He's the answer. He's, a, he's, he's what everything is pointing towards in the Old Testament. Why do we have Genesis 4 through Malachi? Why, why do we have those stories? Why do we have those accounts? Why do we have those books? And, and I guess the real answer is, I don't know. I mean, it's like saying, why did God make the sky blue? And why did God make the grass green? I don't know why God does what he does, unless he tells us why he does what he does. He doesn't really tell us why there is an Old Testament. He doesn't really tell us why he, has a, 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 he raises up a people of Israel by calling a man named Abraham. He doesn't, he doesn't really tell us those things, but, but he shows us those things. And so one thing you can conclude, actually two things that you can conclude, when, when, you, when you look at the Bible and you see the consistent story that's being told, um, is, is that God is faithful to His promises and He's gracious to those who break theirs. So, so I, the, I, I was looking back at, at um, verses that t- talk about God's promise-keeping or His faithfulness. And I was struck by this idea that, that faith, God's faithfulness is an attribute of His. Um, and we know he's faithful because it says he's unchanging. So the, the, the kind of a official term is immutable. God is immutable. Have you maybe heard that term? God is immutable means he's unchanging. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. He's unchanging. And so it, because God is unchanging, that means he's eternally faithful. It means he, whatever he says will come true it, because he doesn't change his mind. Now, we know what it's like to change. You, you and I have experienced ourselves changing our minds. We've experienced ourselves being unfaithful to what we said or um, breaking promises that we made. Uh, we've experienced others doing that to us. Some of you in, in really deep, painful ways have experienced people not being faithful to do what they say they're going to do, or changing and becoming somebody different, or changing their mind and turning on you. you you've experienced those things, but, but God isn't that way. And, it, and, it's, and it's really important. Um, in, in order to understand what it means to be His child, we have to understand His faithfulness to His promises and His grace to those who break theirs, because that's us. So, what it means for us is it means that the tempted, the anxious, the fearful, the discouraged, that all find new hope and joy in knowing that He is faithful. So I, I went back through um, some verses, and you can write these references down and maybe look them up later. Genesis 28, 13 through 15. Here, here's what I took from it. It says that God, God makes promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. And he, he, he promises to, 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 to make them a people, to give them a name, because a name was important. The people of Israel. More, more importantly, the people of God, the people of Yahweh. And then he gives them a land. So that's what he promises them. And he does all those things. Exodus 34. If you haven't read Exodus 34, 
it's, it's, it's one of the first times, I believe, it's the first time that God, He um, confesses who He is to, to Moses. He actually says, this is who I am. And He describes Himself as compassionate and gracious and forgiving and faithful. So God, in this, in this section, Exodus 34, verse 6, He's, he's confessing Himself to be faithful. In Numbers 23, this is my favorite one. Numbers 23, verse 19. God does, it says, God does not lie. He does not change His mind. When He speaks, He acts. And when He promises, He fulfills. So that's, that's who God is revealing Himself to be in, in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 7, 7-9. through 9. It says, God chose Israel and was faithful to them because why? Because they were faithful? Because they were cute? Uh, no. Because He's faithful. He says, I'm, I'm faithful to you because I'm faithful. It's not, it's not conditional. It's not based on what you do or don't do. It's based on who He is. His faithfulness is an attribute, meaning it is, it is in His very nature. We actually know what faithfulness is because of the way God acts. It's not the other way around. It's not that God, that somehow faithfulness is something he aspires to and then he, you know, he's got eternity. So he's like really, really tried and he's gotten really good at it, you know, being faithful. No, God is who he is. And then we go, wow, that's what faithfulness is. That's what it means to have an attribute of God's. And so we learn what faithfulness is by him. Lamentations 3, 22 through 23 This is written by Jeremiah, the the lamenting prophet. So even in his lament, this is what he says about God's faithfulness, that God's faithfulness should lead us to hope in Him. Should lead us to hope, to have hope. So His faithfulness instills hope. And then we'll jump to 1 Corinthians 1, verse 9. Um, The church's testimony about Jesus it says, the church's testimony about Jesus, who the, who the church believes Jesus to be, is confirmation of God's faithfulness to His people. So the, the fact that the, the, the Christians in Corinth could profess Jesus to be Lord and Savior of their life is, is proof of God's faithfulness to His plan. His plan starting all the way back in the beginning, which I'll talk through in, in just a bit. 2 Corinthians one twenty is another great one. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. That's what it says. And then through Jesus, we say amen to the glory of God. So, this idea that every promise that God made in the Old Testament is fulfilled and finds its yes and amen in Jesus. Um, 2 Timothy 2.13 2 Timothy 2.13 God is faithful when we are faithless. He cannot deny Himself. So there's that, there's that idea that um, He is gracious to those who break their promises. Anybody in here ever broke a promise to God? I think I did by the time I was, see, I was baptized when I was 11, and so probably within a few weeks, <laughs> I'd already broken a promise. You know, God, I'm going to invite all my friends to church. Yeah, I did. Not him. Um, nope, not him either. He'll laugh at me. You know, uh, I remember making promises that I was going to read the Bible every day 
broke that promise. I remember making promises that I was um, going to break up with my girlfriend, and it, it took a lot longer than it should have. So I, I, I know what it's like to break promises, and so this idea that God is faithful um, and gracious to those who break their promises to God is huge. Uh, Hebrews ten twenty three, we should not waver in hope because God who is who who promised is faithful. So we should not waver in hope, but because God who promised is faithful. Revelation nineteen eleven. This is a great one. Jesus is depicted as this warrior king who's riding in on a white horse, right? And he's called, it says, his name is Faithful and True. It's Revelation 19, 11. So God is faithful, which means you can count on him. But count on him for what? That's the question. What can you count on him for? I remember... um, an intern, actually my very first intern when I, when I was here, probably, I guess, close to nine, eight and a half, nine years ago. Um, I remember her wrestling with, with some things that she wanted out of life. And in, in kind of a moment of, of confession, a moment of clarity, um, she said, it's, the question was asked, so can you trust God? And she said, No. I can't trust God to do what I want Him to do. And I thought that was a, a brilliant way of saying it. She, she was just in, in kind of her, just realizing all these things I want, I'm asking God for, but I, I don't know if I can trust that He'll do them because I don't know if that's what I really need. So, what is it you can count on God for? So not only is God... Uh, not only does the Bible describe God as being faithful to His promises and being gracious to those who break theirs, it also describes God as being on mission to redeem and restore all people back to Himself. That God is on mission. So He is a faithful God. He is a gracious God. But He is on mission. In, in, our, in our verses, chapters 9-11, through 11, or our chapters, I guess. So this section in chapter 10 where, where it's Paul confessing that he, he wants nothing more than for Israel to be saved and he's realizing that, that they've rejected the gospel. Um, and so he has this famous, this famous line. I'll start with verse 13. This is Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Because he just got done saying, if you confess, Lord... Confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So there's this confession of faith that, that takes place and this belief that takes place, this whole life belief. And he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then it, verse 14, but how then can they call on Him who, who him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about Him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? And it says, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This idea that Paul is on mission and he recognizes that the only way for anyone to to have this, to be reconciled back to, back to God, to have this relationship with God, he has to be, um, he has to hear 
the gospel. He has to hear the information, the good news of the gospel. And that means someone has to be sent. Someone has to tell them. Someone has to proclaim that. Someone has to be sent to do that. And so there's this, embedded in this, this section is this reality that we have a mission. That we are on mission. And that God is on mission. So I so going back and kind of looking at the full picture of the Bible, you, you see this, this story that's unfolding. And so you have, and so I'll I'll describe it in, in, ter- in terms of like Acts. Okay, so Act One. Act one is that men and women are created in the image of God to fill the earth for his glory. So like the, the opening scene is God creating you and I, God creating us in His image to bear His image and then to, to rule and subdue the earth for the glory of God. And of course, that doesn't last long. They fall. So God calls Abraham, Abram is his name when He calls him, promises to birth a nation that will bless all nations. So, so from the very beginning, uh, Genesis chapter 12, it's a huge chapter in the Bible because it's the beginning of this covenant that God has with His people. And He calls Abram and He's, he's, he's not just saying, hey, I'm going to bless your family. I'm going to bless you know, you, you if you stay faithful to Me. He's saying, no, I'm going to use you. I'm going to bless you. And as I bless you, I'm going to bless all nations through you. So from the very beginning, the point, you can see God's mission to redeem and restore all nations back to Him. Not just one nation. That's what Paul is kind of getting at in, in these chapters. And then you fast forward. They, they're given a law. They're given this relational covenant, the law. They break the law constantly. They, they abandoned or rebel against their, their covenant. They disobey God. They chase after other idols. And, and God in His long suffering, He sends them into exile. We learned in Romans chapter 2 that that in God's kindness He calls people to repentance. That, that God's judgment is for repentance and it's kind. And so in, in, in exile, God, and actually before exile, God sends prophets to Him, to them, to remind them of their covenant with God and to call them to repentance. Okay? So He, he sends them out like, like ambassadors for him, okay, and he, and he sends them out to, to, um, to bring reconciliation, as if God were like making His appeal through them. And so you see this pattern happening in the Old Testament. That for those of you who know Second Corinthians five, you, you see the connection that I'm making. That in the Old Testament, God, in His faithfulness to His people. In his love and kindness to his rebellious people, he sends people to chase after them, to tell them who they are, to call them to repentance, to remind them of their covenant. And, and in, in doing so, he seeks to reconcile their relationship. And then Jesus arrives on the scene uh, in, in Act 4. Jesus arrives, he brings salvation, he also brings judgment. And he preaches a kingdom for a kingdom of God for all nations, for all people. And then Act 5, followers of Jesus spread out and witness to the salvation and the hope found only in him. 
That's where you and I come into this picture. It's those who have um, received this, this relationship, this, this covenant through Jesus, are now called and sent out, just like those prophets, sent out to go to proclaim and, and to call people in, in, into relationship, to call people to uh, who God is and what Jesus has done and, and then to reconcile this relationship. So God is on mission to redeem and to restore the world back to Himself. And I want to show you an example. Turn to Acts chapter 8. I love this verse, Acts 8, 4. I want you to see it. So if you have a Bible, open it up. Acts 8, 4. Right before here, um, Saul, who becomes Paul, who's writing the book of Romans to the church. He goes from persecutor of the church to great missionary. Saul is the one that's approving Stephen's death. So blood is on his hands. It says Saul starts ravaging the church, persecuting the church, and, and the church scatters and runs and flees. And then verse 4, So those who were scattered went on, went on their way preaching the word. I love that verse. I love this picture of these people, like you and me, who come to believe who Jesus was and decide, and, and, and being chased out of town, flee to different towns. And as they go, they proclaim the gospel wherever they go. So there's, they're not relying on someone else to do it for them. They, they understood the message. They, they understood the gravity of how important it was to, to spread the news. So you see the people of God on mission. Then turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Yeah, chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Peter 2. Peter says in, in 2.9, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He's quoting sections from the Old Testament when God said that about the people of Israel. And he's saying it to the church. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the One who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You, were not, you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is huge. So, this tells us who we are as people on mission. We are like priests sent to represent God. We are a holy nation set apart for God. We are a people that don't come um, to others because somehow we're better than them because we know Jesus. Or somehow... We're more spiritual than, than them because we can quote Scripture. But we come 
because we've received mercy. We were people in darkness and, and brought into light. We were people that um, didn't, didn't have a name, and now we have a name. We are God's people. We are people that were, did not, were not receiving mercy, and now we're under mercy. So it's a, it's, it's a, it's a picture of humility. It's a picture of um, lowliness and excitement for what we have received and what we can pass on. So God is faithful, and He's on mission. But what does that mean for us? So it means that He is not faithful to your plans. He is faithful to His plan. He's faithful to His plan to redeem and to restore the world through Jesus, too. Like we said earlier in Romans, that the gospel is the story of God making everything right through King Jesus. He's faithful to do that. It means He is not for your plans to live the American dream. He is for His plans to make you more like Jesus and to make much of Jesus through you. That's what He's faithful to. That's what you can count on. Um, it means you, can, you, you cannot trust Him like, like my first intern. You cannot trust Him to do what you want. But you can trust Him to be faithful to His Word to be faithful to His mission, and to be faithful to be glorified in your obedience or in your disobedience. That's a hard one to to wrap our minds around, but God says it to the people of Israel while they're in exile many times, especially in Isaiah. It's this idea that, listen, I'm going to be glorified, God's saying. I'm going to be glorified in you, whether you turn back to me or not. I will be shown to be right. So I will be glorified. Either way, God's saying. But with Him, okay, in obedience, we get Him. And in disobedience, we don't. That's the difference. So, so God is faithful to those things. And you can count on Him for those things. He is a gracious Father. He is a missional King. He's a gracious Father. He's a missional king, and we are his children by grace and his ambassadors on mission. And so I, I want to take a couple minutes before we take a break. I want to give you a couple minutes to think about the, these two ideas. Which of these are hardest for you to embrace? This, this idea of, of you being God's child, accepted, loved, forgiven, or you being his ambassador, sent to do his work, sent to proclaim. Which of these do you shy away from? Which of these is hardest to embrace? So take a few minutes, and then I will close, and then we'll take a little break. So go. We'll